Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Previously on Detective. From the very first homicide that I worked, I couldn't think about anything else. There's no tomorrow. There's no let's do this later. I think you do everything you possibly can until you pass out, and then you wake up and you start again until you get it done. Due to the graphic nature of the content, Detective may not be suitable for all audiences. My first homicide that came in、uh, was assigned to a, a training officer who was a detective. I had to sit back and, and listen to him interview this woman, and she's completely closed off. I noticed she had some bruising on her leg. Didn't look fresh, but not that old. I just leaned in and asked her how long had he been beating her. She just burst into tears and said, "I knew you knew." That's Detective Rod Demery. Detective Demery has had an impressive career as a homicide investigator, and his interrogation skills have helped him solve dozens of cases. But how did he get there? I'm Garnsey Sloan for Investigation Discovery, and this is Season Three of Detective: True Stories from Behind the Yellow Tape. The ones you don't hear on TV. This episode, homicide. When I moved to Shreveport, I was dating a woman that worked in police recruiting. How convenient. Ah,、uh, yeah, you know, I don't. Know, I'm gonna tell you anyways. So she、uh, was the person that I met when I first moved to Shreveport, but she wasn't the person who actually recruited me. Well, about nine months into the police department, I was in SWAT training, and I got called into internal affairs. And there was an internal affairs guy there, and a homicide supervisor. And I'm thinking, oh my god! So I go in, and、uh, they interview me. The sergeant leans over, and he、uh, kind of taps me on the leg and says, "You're not in any trouble. This is not something you've done. I want you to know that everything's okay." Well, I'm thinking, well. I'm not the subject of whatever they're investigating. Well, as the investigation goes on, he asked me if the woman that was recruiting at the time 
forced me to have a relationship or relations with her to get a job. So at this point, I realized that this is a joke, and um, I leaned into him, and I put my hand on his leg, and I said, have you seen her? And he answered, uh, yeah. I said, does she look like she needs to force anybody into any type of relationship? And he said, uh, you know, we got an open in, in uh, burglary. I think you'd be a good interrogator, and went to burglary. That's how it happened. I mean, that's how my burglary career started. I think had that interview not taken place, I would have ended up in narcotics or still on patrol. And he actually turned out to be my supervisor all throughout my homicide career. Wow. And what about that moment did he see in you? Was it how you handled the situation or? I, I, think, he, I think he realized that I recognized the bull in the politics that were going on in the police department. And I could tell he didn't want to be there either. Administrative investigations and trying to find out what people are doing in their personal lives and so on and so forth. I think he was kind of perturbed by that. And I think the fact that I mimicked everything he did, he realized that I knew that his interrogation was just that. I think he thought that I would be able to do that. And in fact, he told me that he thought my strong point would be interrogation. And at that point, I had no idea. His mentoring and instruction was probably instrumental in that because he was a very sharp guy and he was no nonsense. The job came first. I kind of admired him for that. He had a reputation of being such a hard ass. A lot of people that didn't like him, but um, I don't know, I guess I understood him. So burglary was really the first time that you started interrogating people then? Yeah, burglary is where you learn to interrogate people. Homicide is a lot different. If you can work a burglary, you certainly can work a homicide. And um, it comes down to the interrogation absent any physical evidence, you know, fingerprints or somebody cutting themselves and leaving DNA on a window, um, you're stuck with communication. And in burglary, thieves are liars and, you know, they're professionals at it. And if you can hone in those skills, there's not a homicide you can't solve. The fact is, is that there's a reason why someone kills someone, you know, somewhere buried. But a burglary, that's just an opportunity. Anything short of somebody seeing someone doing it, it's going to take a lot of uh, communication through witnesses, victims, and ultimately suspects. In most cases, a burglar put together by interrogation. So once you get that down, you're pretty good. Talk to me about how you work a burglary case. Well, burglary cases come in by the droves. <laughs> you know, there's stacks and stacks. There's little identifiers to tell you what is present if someone saw something or if there's any physical evidence there. But most times, burglary is kind of uh, creating a pattern. You know, if everyone that's been burglarized in a particular area is burglarized at a certain time, then you kind of start to narrow it down. And just like any other street crime, it comes down to someone from that neighborhood or that community communicating certain things to you. I think the trick is, is with that in homicide or any other case, is that the person that wants to give you that information has confidence that you're going to keep that information and do what you're supposed to do and not expose them. So it sounds really cool to say that, you know, there are all these technical and and scientific ways to solve crime. But at the end of the day, it's a basic relationship between somebody in a community and a police department where they feel like there's a mutual respect. It wasn't long before Rod's solve rate got him noticed for an even bigger job on the force. 
uh, worked burglary for about three months, and I did fairly well at it. Closed a lot of burglary cases. Commander of investigations stopped me outside and told me that he appreciated the work and asked me if there was anything that he could do. And I said, yeah, I want to go to homicide. So one time aside, I hadn't been on the police department a full year at that time and just kind of took off from there. Try to describe for people what the difference is between working burglary and moving to homicide in terms of the time that it takes. Burglary's, uh, it's a regular nine-to-five job. You know, you um, go to work and you go home. You have a lot of free time. Homicide, on the other hand, is uh, something that consumes you completely. The stakes are higher. There are emotions involved in homicide that are not even thought of in burglary. You know, everything in a burglary can be replaced. In a homicide, it's uh, the worst crime that can ever happen to anyone. If you have that seriousness of your purpose of being there, then it's going to demand all your time, all your attention, everything you think about. This obsession began with his very first homicide case. Which jurisdiction were you in? I was in Shreveport, and I was assigned to a training officer who was a detective. The thought was that this was a suicide. And as a young detective, a young homicide detective, you really kind of don't want to ruffle any feathers, so you kind of go along and try to be diplomatic on how you approach the situation. But I didn't agree that it was a suicide. The body looks staged. Yeah. I didn't want to overstep. But one way or the other, I convinced him that I needed to talk to this woman who reported the suicide. We brought her back to the police station, and um, I had to sit back and, and listen to him interview this woman. And she's completely denying it. I mean, she's completely closed off. And I'm thinking, oh, God. But I'm just sitting there, and I'm just watching her, and I'm looking at her. At some point, he uh, walked out of the room, and that gave me the opportunity to talk to her. I noticed she had some bruising on her leg. Didn't look fresh, but not that old. I just leaned in and asked her how long had it been beating her. And she just burst into tears and said, I knew you knew. I was running down the hallway. I was looking for a recorder because none of this was recorded. And I got my sergeant. We went back in and interviewed her. And she explained that she was living with this guy. He locked her in the house when he went out. She said that uh, he came home from work and forced her to have sex with him and cook for him. Then he fell asleep on the couch, and she explained that she stood about three feet from him on top of him and shot him in the head. I went back out to the crime scene, and I noticed that there were locks on the outside of the door, so what she was saying was not far-fetched. She ultimately convinced the courts and uh, the prosecutor that it was a self-defense case. But that was the first homicide case I worked. I had learned a lot about homicide. But um, that actual experience was more about interviewing and uh, talking to witnesses and getting an, an actual story about what happened. I kind of worked on my homicides from that way. Not necessarily focusing on condemning the person or well, why'd you do this or whatever. It's just uh, giving them the opportunity to explain to me how I should understand why they killed someone. It just worked for me, so I kept it. The charge I got from working on homicide just confirmed that that was what I wanted to do forever. What's the average time that a homicide case takes to solve? 
the average homicide case is going to be solved for the first 48 hours. It's not just the saying. It doesn't necessarily mean you have somebody in jail, but you have the case resolved. You have the evidence you need. Did you ever come across a case you couldn't solve or that went cold? <laughs> no, no, I, I haven't. I think the longest period was maybe a month or two months. And that was because I couldn't find a particular witness or I was waiting on confirmation on something. But now nah, they're pretty easy in, in the beginning. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Because I didn't stop. A daybreak could set you back a couple of weeks or even a month. You keep going while that trail's hot. You're going to eventually find the person if you don't fall out. What's the longest you ever worked a case hours in a row? About 72. How do you not drop? After 72 hours of working a case? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, uh, you can't. You know, if you got to go home, get some rest, or go to your anniversary dinner or something like that, you're off the game. I guess there's so much adrenaline going there and so much motivation and drive that you just don't want to stop. There's something about someone being pursued relentlessly that brings a case to close. One, you want to get it done, and two, uh, you're not stopping, and that person who's running from you realizes that. I learned in homicide that you can find someone a lot easier by just uh, waiting for them to come see you or making a situation where they have to come see you because if you're looking for them, you're not going to find them. So how exactly does Detective Demery make a suspect come to him? That's next.
Once he knew who he was after, Detective Rod Demery used some pretty ingenious techniques for flushing out a suspect. If I had a suspect in a crime, I didn't usually go to their hangouts. I went to the places that they were comfortable. Part of my investigation was to find out where they laid their head, where they slept. And it wasn't enough to find out who their mother was or their girlfriend was. I wanted to find out who their other girlfriend was. I wanted to find out who their friends were, and I wanted to make it uncomfortable so that that person had nowhere to go. It makes it a lot easier to find them that way. You know, if you go to their mother's house and their mother's like, you know, maybe uncooperative with you, but when he comes home or she comes home, they're going to like, hey, the police are here. I don't want them coming to my house. You know, they don't want that trouble. And if their friends are into some sort of illegal activity, if you park outside, you know, it cuts down on their business and they don't want that heat because they're paranoid now. And their girlfriend, you go to her house, if she's in a situation where she doesn't want that kind of heat on her, so this person is going to run out of places to go. You smoke them out. Yeah, pretty much. It's just stupid to go and chase them from place to place. That's just a waste of time. Eventually, people are going to get tired. They go, God, I've had people say, hey, you need to go down there and talk to them detectives and see what the hell's going on because I'm sick of this It's usually something like that. I've had true gangsters actually deliver suspects because it disrupts everything. And I'm not saying all of them are involved in illegal activity, but they don't like that scrutiny or that uncomfortable feeling. You know, it can be something as simple as somebody that has a traffic warrant that doesn't want the heat or somebody that's still in cable that doesn't want the heat. They don't want it. Or drug dealers or traffic is going to slow down. You disrupt that whole circuit, that system, and uh, it works. It isn't always just about keeping the cops out of the neighborhood. Sometimes the criminals want to police each other. I had a sexual assault case where a guy was suspected of a sexual assault that he actually did. The drug dealers and dope men turned him in. Actually, they beat his ass and told me where he was. Had cases where I've had people just say, hey, man, that just wasn't right. You need to get him. Had people coming from the jail <laughs> that said, uh, you know, hey, man, uh, you know, we find out things in jail way before you guys find out. The guy you're looking for is this person. There's a weird kind of code where people are accepting of some things and not of others. Regardless of what they're into, they don't really see what they're doing is wrong. It's all part of whatever organization or game they're in. But some things are just heinous and um, it disgusts most people. And uh, you're going to get a lot of cooperation from that. I've had people that uh, I've stopped and questioned about something or they've stopped me and said, hey, you know, um, you need to get that dude or, you know, yeah, that was a good job. I'm glad you got him. Meanwhile, they're involved in all, all sorts of other stuff, but it's nothing that they consider wrong. Sexual assault and abusing the elderly or children or something, most people are on the same page. They're equally disgusted by it, and they're going to they're gonna help you out. And you remove somebody like that from their neighborhood or, or their community, they're, they're appreciative of that. But the neighborhood can't be the only thing a detective relies on. Usually, when there's a lot of talk around the neighborhood, your informant's going to tell you what that talk is. The problem is, is that sometimes it's just that. It's just talk. The police work comes in after that. The goal is to find out if it's factual. You're always going to have to develop your own theory and your own evidence. It's not just enough getting someone. Uh, 
or arresting someone. It's making sure you got the right person. That's probably more stressful than actually finding the person. Make sure you found the right person. How do you know when you don't have the right people in custody? You have to pay attention. I was interviewing a guy, and he was telling me so much about the the robbery and how he beat this person senseless. And there was one point where he said, I propped him up because I didn't want him to choke on his blood. And I realized it wasn't a killer. And I was just, this guy didn't do it. The person wanted to kill somebody, and they had this crazy way of displaying it. But this guy, now he would beat him senseless, but he didn't want to kill anybody. And um, that was the little thing in that case that just stood out. Any other cases like that that you just knew from what they had said that just didn't add up? Yeah, but it's usually the other way around. They'll say something that let me know they did do it. Usually when someone says something to you, you know, you get a feeling it's totally unscripted. It's not something they thought about. It's just something that just comes out and it says a lot about who they are. It's very possible to be very savage in committing crimes and not want to kill anyone. And that murder was deliberate in that somebody that wanted to, to kill someone. Yeah, it's kind of a fine line, I guess. And I guess that's uh, the attention to detail that, that's, that's required. You know, your policing has to come in and um, you have to check and verify because all the clues are there. You just have to pick up on them. But detective work isn't just about picking up clues and chasing bad guys. They're expected to show results, often in the form of arrests. And you're getting pressure from the bosses. To- yeah, yeah, they, um, they like that. Why? Because the pressure's on them. There's media pressure. There's the mayor's office. There are politicians. There are preachers. There are people wanting these cases closed. And unfortunately, they're willing to just say, hey, yeah, yeah, I think you got enough here to arrest this person. Sometimes you almost have to arrest somebody, and, and that's because the evidence points towards them. You can't ignore probable cause. My problem was that I wanted to go beyond probable cause. It comes to knowing your beat and knowing your community. And um, when you look at the crime, the first thing that jumps out at you is probably right. This is a savage murder, and the person who did this wanted to do it. So then when you're presented with someone that, well, maybe they did it, maybe they didn't do it, but they don't show you any sign that they're that savage and they're going to do this, then you probably should follow that instinct because circumstantial evidence can put people in prison I want it to be something that if I went to court, I went to trial with it, that I was very confident that this was the person. And usually that's a confession. My thing was always to get a confession. Next time on Detective. Body language gets exploited. You know, you see all the experts on TV. Yeah, well, he did this. His eyes went up to the right. That's that's bull. I don't think that a confession is something that's a standalone. I mean, gosh, anybody can say they did something. I think if you confess a murder to me, that you got to kind of prove it to me. Detective is part of the Panoply Network and was made for America's leading mystery and suspense network, Investigation Discovery, by DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound insanely cool. 
It was produced by Mylan Fitzwater Barrows with help from Stephanie Wilkes. Production oversight by producers Emily Kaiser and Elizabeth Stevenson. And executive producers Amy Angelowitz, Garnsey Sloan, and Lorna Thomas. It was recorded by Chip Sovek. Additional recording and mix by Kenneth Gilbert. Original music was composed by Chris Kennedy. Cover art was designed by Anand Glott. Special thanks to Detective Rod Demery for sharing his story with us, as well as Sean Barrows, Anastasia Brown, Judy Fitzwater, Hilary Heskett Shapiro, Heather Holloman, Sam Sneebly, Ash Sevilla, and Dallas Taylor. Subscribe on iTunes to get new episodes of Detective on your feed. And if you like the podcast, rate and review it. Check out Detective Rod Demery's new television show, Murder Chose Me, only on Investigation Discovery. I'm your host, Garnsey Sloan. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ACAST anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.